you are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just one more quick announcement for you, just to get this on your radar. One month from today, we're having our fall family meeting at 4 p.m. in this room, uh, and then we will have food together afterwards at 5 so uh, we would invite, if you are a member at CBC or you're in that process to, to, to come, please. We'll be praying together, we'll be singing together, uh, and then we'll be eating together. Uh, there is a sign-up on the website. Just go to our website. You can sign up just so we know how much food to get. We just need to, to know how much food, how many kids you're bringing, all those things, so we uh, can get the appropriate food and not run out. So again, 4 o'clock in here, and then we'll go out uh, in the other building and be outside and just hang out and eat together. Uh, on that Sunday evening from 4 to May 6-ish. So uh, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 3 in your Bibles or open up your apparatus and uh, go to Hebrews 3. Uh, when our, our kids were younger, we, we used to play board games, and one of the games we played for a season uh, was a game called Sorry. I don't know if you're familiar with this game. It is a game of angst, of gnashing of teeth, of, of wickedness. Uh, now, on the surface, it seems like a simple, you know, game. It's very, you know, simple in its, in its you know, purpose and everything. Uh, all you have to do is take your pawns, your, your, little, your little guys, your color, and you move them to home base. You got to get them home. That's the goal. Flip a card, says go forward two. Flip a card, it goes back three, whatever, right? Uh, where the angst comes in and the destruction of families is that if you land on someone else's pawn... You send them all the way back to the beginning, and then you have to say in, in this kind of the most mocking voice ever, sorry, 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 right? And it make it worse. Like, you'll, you'll flip a card, it'll be like, go forward four, but you can split the number. So if, if one of your, you know, your opponents is two in front of you, you can split it off two there and two there. I sent two of them back. And that even is more angst when the older child is doing that to the younger child. And so you never finish the game. You just, and everyone ends up in timeout. And it's just, you know, so we stop playing that game. Uh, but I, that's in many ways like the Christian life, that the goal, we're trying to get home. And there's things all over that are trying to knock us back. And sometimes it's two steps forward and it's one steps back. And someone's trying to sorry our tails all the way back to the start. And there's something always there, but the goal is to go forward. And that's really the book of Hebrews is don't go back, go forward. You go forward. And if you do go back, get up and, and keep moving forward. And there's things all over the world that are trying to sorry you back to the beginning. And so today what we're going to look at and answer the question is how do we keep moving forward? How do we hold fast to our confession and move towards the goal to getting, quote, home? That's what we're going to talk about today as we look at Hebrews 3. And really, Hebrews 3 and 4 are really one one narrative, one story, not story, but one section. Uh, we don't have time to cover four and three today, so we'll look at four next week. So next week will be a little similar in some ways, uh, but we're going to look at, at chapter three today. And what we've seen, if you're a guest, if you're you know, your first time or you haven't been here a couple weeks, the book of Hebrews is a sermon. It's a 13 chapter sermon written to a specific group of people. We don't know where they were. We know that they were Jewish. We don't know who the author was, but we know that he knew them and they know him. And, and the overarching theme is the superiority of Jesus, that he is better. And the reason why that's the theme is because this is a group of people because they're facing opposition, uh, uh, persecution, 
getting thrown in jail, losing property, they are tempted to go back into Judaism, to reject Jesus and say, this is too hard. I'm going back to Moses. I'm going back to the tabernacle temple. I'm going back to sacrifices. I'm going back. Some of them had already done it. And others were, were, were being tempted. They're, they're, they're trying to get sorried back. And so he is writing to say, don't do it. It's dangerous. It's foolish. It's, it's not worth it. It's not what you think it is. And, that, and that's really the theme of the book. And he's shown that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. Today, we're going to say he's better than the one who gave you the law that you're trying to run back to. He's better than Moses. He is better. So don't drift what we saw last week. So let me jump into our first six verses just to give us a running start. And then we'll kind of talk about some things. We'll kind of highlight three things this morning to help us not be sorry, but to move forward. Verse one, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. So he starts off, That ever important word, therefore, right? And when we see therefore, we ask what the therefore is therefore. And what the therefore is therefore is it's pointing back to what he has said in the previous chapter that Jesus is what? He's our high priest. That Jesus is the one who helps us in temptation. That Jesus is the one who brought many sons and daughters to glory. He made us family. And so in light of all that, that's where he's gonna now apply. But he says, before he gets into his application, he, he reminds us of something. Same thing every mother reminds their teenager before they leave the house. Remember who you are. Remember. So he says, therefore, what? Holy brothers. And you could say sisters. He says, remember you're holy. You're holy. Right? And that's a huge statement. And when I think holy, I think of like Nacho Libre, like oh, the holy brothers wearing, the, you know, that's, that's kind of where my mind goes. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about someone wearing a robe or a friar or, you know, wearing a funny hat. He's talking about positionally that we as God's people are holy. Now, some of you are thinking you didn't see us in the car on the way here. I'm glad I didn't. This is why I drive to church alone every Sunday. This has nothing to do with what happened this morning. This has everything to do with your position in Christ. It's the beauty of being in Christ. When you are in Christ, that the righteousness of Christ himself is imputed, fancy word, to you. So that when you are in Christ, God doesn't see you as separate and sinful. He looks down at you and he sees what? His son and his son's righteousness. So he can say, you are holy. And then he he seals that deal with his spirit. So that what can take, what can separate you from the son? Who can take you out of the son's hand? Nobody. Who can take you out of the father's hand? Nobody. Who can break the seal of the Holy Spirit? Nobody. You are holy. Even if you lost your mind in the minivan this morning, you're holy. That's the first thing he reminds them. And then secondly, he says, he reminds them that, that we share in a heavenly calling. That, that your life is not meaningless. That there is significance. You can say, well, I'm just, you know, middle management. I'm just a a part-time college student, I'm a sophomore, I'm, I'm sitting the bench on the football team, I'm, a, I'm just a fill in the blank, I'm just a whatever. He says, nope, you're not just a whatever. 
In the words of a classic movie, we are on a mission from God. If you don't know that movie, you need to Google it. We're on a mission from God. We have a calling. Paul says it's a calling that we're to walk in a manner worthy of. That it's, it's not according to your purpose, it's according to his purpose and grace. He says that we are to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a pressing forward in this calling. It's significant. You are his children. We are his family. We are his church. This is why we say go and be the church. That is your calling. And so in light of that, in light of your status, in light of your identity, he, he gives the command then. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. It's the only time in the New Testament Jesus is called an apostle, by the way. He's not an apostle in the sense that Paul and Peter and James and John are. Apostle just means a sent one. So he is God's representative to us. He is sent to God. Not only is he God's representative to us, he represents us to God as our high priest, right? Which we looked at last week and we'll look at more later in this book. But he says, consider Jesus, here's the first thing to press forward and not get sorried back to the end. It's to consider Jesus just using his own language. Now, that word in English means a ton of different things. So you could say, well, I'm considering going to uh, this restaurant after church or considering going there, or I, I think maybe I'm going to plant pansies. I'm considering, you know, petunias. That's not the consider he's talking about, not just some lighthearted, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe take a nap, maybe go to run, considering it. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy word. It's a, it's a focused word. It's think about this. Take your ADD medicine and zoom in. Focus. Get your eyes on this. It's the same word Jesus says. Consider to the disciples the lilies. Consider the ravens. He's not saying, Peter, have you thought about going into botany? Consider it. No, he's saying, look at them, learn from them. There's a lesson here for you that I'm trying to teach. I want you to get it. I want you to know it. I want you to zoom in on it. Focus. Because it's the idea where I wake up in the morning and I get my mind right and I get my priorities right. I am called by God. I have a heavenly calling. I am a holy one. This is what I'm called. Because as soon as I get in the car, as soon as I get to the office, as soon as I get to SCAD, as soon as I get to whatever, there's things gonna be trying to sorry your tail back to the beginning. And if you're not ready... It's going to happen. He says, so consider, right? It's what Paul says in Colossians 3. If you have been raised with Christ, and you have, keep seeking the things above. If you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. For you have died, and your, your life is hidden with God in Christ. Same idea. Consider. Here's the, here's the million-dollar question. Holy ones, those who have a high calling... How often are we really, if we're honest, considering Christ during the day, during the week, for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning? We're really 40 because you came in five minutes late. How often? Is it, is it part of who you are? If, you, if not, you're, you're going to be taking steps back constantly. That's the idea. Instead of moving forward, right? He says, no, you got to consider, fix your eyes. And notice it's fix your eyes on, on him. Don't fix your eyes on, on some spiritual hero, because we all have spiritual heroes. We have this preacher we like, we have that. Please, never, ever fix your eyes on Bill Fowler. Do not. Bill Fowler is not your hope and your savior, right? Bill Fowler cannot do anything for you. No religious leader can. 
right? The best of men is men at best, as Spurgeon says. It's not fix your eyes on Peter, on Paul. Even this is the issue in Corinth, right? They're like, I like Peter, I like Paul, I like Apollos. And, and Paul's like, who are Peter and Paul and Apollos? Servants. This group of people is fixing their eyes where? Moses, right? Got to go back to Moses. Moses is better. Moses is easier. Moses makes life easy, right? And he's going to talk about Moses. But here's the interesting thing. He's not going to slam Moses. He's going to say, hey, no, Moses, is a, if you're going to have a spiritual hero, he's a pretty good hero, right? Jesus was faithful to him, God, who appointed him. And so was Moses, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Moses is a pretty good dude. I mean, think about his story. He had a miracle birth. He was delivered at birth. He was faithful. He spoke face to face with God, it says. He was one of the, uh, the grace. He never lost a battle. Faithful in all these things. Gave them the law. He was a great, he saved Israel's tail so many times when God was like, all right, I'm done with them. I'm wiping them out. He's like, no, don't do it. He saved their life constantly. He was a great guy. Most humble man to ever live, says him, which I don't know if you can say that, but he said it. I guess the spirit inspired him to say it, so. It's nothing wrong with Moses. He's not downplaying Moses, but what he's saying is don't fix your eyes on Moses, right? Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. He uses a building illustration. Every house is built by someone, but the builder is God. He says, if you have this beautiful piece of art or this beautiful piece of architecture or this beautiful building, he says, you don't honor the building, you honor the creator of the building, the designer of the building, the one who thought it up and drew it up and, and, and did all that, the builder, the owner, that's who you honor. He says, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as what? As a servant. And all he was doing was testifying to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses was the gardener. He was the painter. He was the carpenter. Was he faithful? Yes. But all he was doing was talking about who? Christ. John chapter five, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, thinking in them you have life. These things speak of me. All Moses was doing as a faithful servant was pointing to the one that they're going to reject and go back. He's going back to him. He's like, why? He's just a servant, right? Christ is faithful. Moses was faithful, but Christ is faithful, not as a servant. He's over God's house. He's the heir. He's the son. He is the builder. Don't go back. Go forward, right? Fix your eyes, not on the gardener and not on the plumber and not on the painter. Fix your eyes on the owner because Moses is not the antidote for your discouragement, y'all. Christ is. Moses ain't gonna help you in your temptation. Christ is. Moses is not gonna stir you on and encourage you and walk beside you. Christ is. So think on him, consider him, listen to him, learn from him, seek him, focus on him because he is the owner of this house. You say, what is the house? You looking at it, right? Great statement. We are his house. It's emphatic in the original. We, we are his house. Amazing statement, right? Because some of you grew up in, in a day and age, it's not as much now, when you had to go to Sunday to what? To the house of the Lord. And there was a certain way you went to the house of the Lord. If you wore a hat to the house of the Lord, you were pretty much Lucifer himself, right? You couldn't wear a hat in the house of the Lord. You had to wear your Sunday best to the house of the Lord. You could never drink coffee in the sanctuary in the house of the Lord. And it was a misunderstanding of what the house of the Lord is. This is not the house of the Lord. I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. It's been a great building for us, but it is not 
the house of the Lord. It is cement and sheetrock and glass and wires. The house of the Lord is standing there looking at me right now. You are the house of the Lord. God does not dwell in houses made by men, and he never has. You say, well, Bill, what about the temple? I'm glad you asked about the temple. Was that God's house? Or is that just a place that he chose for his glory to dwell for a, a specific time? After Solomon finishes the greatest temple who was ever built, I mean, greater than Herod's temple, greater than the second temple, greater than all the temples, what does he say? He asked God, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house, which was amazing. It was the wonder of the world. How much less this house that I have built? So you can't, this is not your house. Heaven can't contain you, which is a great statement. But yet God chooses to live in you. Does that not kind of say, man, that means something about being heavenly calling. That means something about being holy. This is what it means, God with us, Emmanuel, that Jesus has built a house and we is it, his church, his people. So we go forward, not back. We don't go back to whatever, whether it's Moses or anything else. But then he makes this statement. This is significant. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And we've been talking about this, this idea of the perseverance of the saints. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. Who are the saints? The ones who persevere. You do not, you're not a saint because you persevere. You persevere because you are a saint and that is significant, right? Does that mean a, a Christian never falls, never stumbles, never gets knocked down? Absolutely not, it doesn't. In fact, Spurgeon talks about it being like a guy in the midst of a storm on a ship that's just getting thrown everywhere and banged on and gets knocked down, but he never gets thrown overboard. He keeps getting back up. He keeps getting back up. He's safe on the ship, but he gets beaten up. That's the saints, right? That's the saints. I think Bunyan and his Pilgrim's Progress, he portrayed this so well. It's worth your read if you've never read it, where Pilgrim starts off on this journey to the celestial city. Don't read the old King James Version, by the way, because you won't understand it. Read the modern version, but unless you're like old King James. But he's on this journey to the celestial city, and there's all sorts of people that try to join him on this, on this journey. You got pliable and ignorant and worldly wise men, all these people that say they want to go, but what do they end? When they hit the Slaw of Despond, or they hit the, the, the fighting against Abaddon, they, they, when there's trouble, they are always out. They never make it. Why? Because the Apostle John says, they went out from us, because they weren't really of us. If they were really of us, they wouldn't have went out. And the idea is this, saints are gonna fall. You're gonna get knocked two steps back, four steps back, but the saints always get up and they always persevere and they will. Why? Because he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will, he always does. And there's all sorts of things that'll knock us down, right? But you get back up and it's his grace and mercy to help us. So the first thing we do, fix our eyes. Consider this one named Jesus. He continues. Let me read our next section. Therefore, there's another therefore. You have to circle it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, 
unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So he starts off again. Therefore, in light of what I just said, right? As the Holy Spirit says, and and what he's going to do in this section is if you kind of have, if you're reading a hard copy of God's word, you see it's in a different text type. That's because he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 95, which is really a summary of portions of the book Exodus and Numbers, uh, the story of Moses, their guy, leading the people of Israel across the wilderness to the promised land. Remember, and they're, and they're going to the promised land. God delivers them from Egypt, 10 plagues. They go through the Red Sea. He gives them manna in the morning, bread, miracle bread, and he gives them quail at night. And then they have one of their many sorry moments, right? They get some quail, they get some bread, and they're like, we're thirsty. What are we going to drink? Start yelling at Moses and complaining to God. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? God's not really with us. And God says, Moses, strike that rock. And he does, and water comes out. And they're like, okay, thank you. And then they keep going, they get to Mount Sinai, God gives them this law, and then they keep going and they get to the the border of the land, this land that they've been hearing about for 400 years, this land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And and Moses sends 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel to go into the land to spy it out. They come back after 40 days and everyone's like, it is amazing. It's everything we thought it was. But 10 of them say this, but everyone's tall. It's filled with a bunch of Clint Wares, and we're a bunch of Bill Fowlers. We can't do it. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, say, no, 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 we can do it. Look what we've done. Look what God's done. We can do it. And the people listen to the 10 instead of the two, and God says, okay, fine. You're going to wander for 40 years till everybody that's over the age of 20 is dead, and then we'll go in. The only two that make it in are Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses, by the way, doesn't make it in. You say, what? Because Moses, they end up going back to the same rock that he hit before. God says, I want you to speak to the rock this time. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, hits the rock again. Water still comes out, but God says, you didn't regard me as holy in front of my people. You ain't going in either. And so Moses, the one they want to run back to, doesn't even get to go in the land. So he wasn't perfect. But the idea is this. He's using this section to say, y'all are acting just like the Israelites of the Old Testament. You're doing the same thing. You're provoking God. And we don't like that language. God, God is love. He's not provoked. Well, he's provoked here when his people don't listen to him. And he doesn't get angry like we get angry, but he is just, he's like, look at all these things I've done and look what you're doing. I've delivered you. I've provided for you. I loved you. I delivered you. I saved you. And what happens is God still provides for them. He still gives them manna. He still leads them to the wilderness, but they don't get God's best. They never get the rest that he promised. They end up camping for 40 years until they all die. They they never experience the joy of the land. They don't get there. They don't get home. And so the second thing this morning for us to, to press forward, to not go back, is don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away to fall away from the living God. He said, y'all are doing the same thing they were doing. God wants to take you to the promised land. What do they say? We want to go back to Egypt. At least in Egypt, they had salad. Even more reason not to go back to Egypt. (laughs) That's what they're complaining. They literally are complaining. They have leeks. They have onions. We sat by meat pots all day long. Yeah, with your chains on. And these, this group is saying, we want to go, we have the grace and mercy and love of God Almighty and Jesus Christ, and we want to go back to Moses and be enslaved to the law, the law that you couldn't even keep anyway? Are you kidding me? 
right? And, and they're, they're lacking faith, they're lacking belief. That's why he says, take care, there's be an evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelief is like the supreme act of disobedience because what you're saying is God is not good. God does not have my best. He cannot be trusted. He's not for me, he's against me. And we go back and you continue in that pattern, your heart will be hardened just like theirs. And so he says, today, the Holy Spirit says, notice it says, the Holy Spirit says, and, and it was not the psalmist says, it was the Spirit. And the Spirit is still speaking today through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. Today, CBC, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden. So the question you got to ask is, where are you hardening your heart? Where is there unbelief? Where are you not believing God, right? Is it, you know, I know, you know, I know this relationship's not great, but it's not as bad as theirs, right? Uh, I know I need to forgive that person, but I just can't, I can't release it. And the longer you hold on to that, the more bitter and bitter and bitter you become. This, this little, you know, functional savior you're running to, your Amazon therapy, your credit card, the alcohol, whatever, the more you continue to pour yourself into that, the harder your heart becomes. And he's saying, listen, today, today, right? Where are you not believing? Because you're never going to find rest there, I can promise you. Sin never brings rest. Sin is like a stray cat. If a stray cat comes to your house, never feed it. Because if you feed this cat, it will be back every day for the rest of your life. And eventually, and some of you know this firsthand, and I know your names, that cat ends up living with you and bringing all its fleas and mess to you. Why? Because you fed the cat one time. That's like sin. You feed it, and it's coming back, and it's coming back. And eventually, it's in your house, ruling and reigning like cats attempt and try to do. That's why you have to kill them. <laughs> Don't email me on that one. <laughs> but what's worse than even that, I'm just kidding, cat lovers, telling you. What's worse is it, the more you sin, the harder your heart becomes. It's easier, a little easier to do it the second time, the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time until you don't even realize you're doing it anymore. It's just normal. And the word from the psalmist and from the, the writer to Hebrews and from ultimately the Holy Spirit is today, right now in this moment, what is the Holy Spirit saying? It may be loud and clear and it may be a gentle blowing. It may be through your parents, your best friend, your community group leader, your school teacher, your boss, a blog post that you read, the scripture that you read this morning, the, you know, iBible app. It may be a thousand different ways that the Spirit of God is trying to get your attention. But what I'm telling you is, if he's speaking to you today, do not harden your heart towards it, right? Don't ignore it because it'll be that much more difficult tomorrow and you'll be that much closer to Egypt. 
And the, and the two main applications here is if you're not a Christian this morning and the spirit of God is drawing you to himself and you, these pe- God is putting all these people in your life and you don't even know why and they brought you to church and you even know how you got here, but you're like, you're here and they keep telling you they're praying for you and they keep doing nice things because they're loving on you and God is wooing you towards himself. That is significant. Don't ignore that. Don't be like, this is a guy named Felix in the book of Acts where he, he has Paul in prison and every day he brings Paul out and he listens to Paul and he listens to Paul and he's interested. He's like, that's amazing. That's incredible. And he keeps listening and listening. And finally, he just sends Paul away, but he never listens anymore because Paul gets sent to Rome and it's over for him. He never responds. And if you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, eventually it's going to be like Pharaoh. God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. And it came a point when God says, okay, if Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, I'm going to harden it too. And so God starts hardening Pharaoh's heart. And God does that. If you continue to stiff arm him, stiff arm him, stiff arm him, he said, I'm going to give them what they want. This is Romans chapter one. And and the call is, this is why the devil's favorite word is tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow. And the other application is for believers, if if the Holy Spirit is putting something on on your mind, he's bringing this to your attention, listen. Don't, in, in Paul's language, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And in Stephen's uh, language, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't be stiff-necked. Because if you're gonna miss God's best, it's gonna be harder to repent later. Don't do it. And if, if you wanna do a little spiritual EKG on yourself, if you find yourself lacking passion for those things which you used to have passion for, if you find yourself doing stuff that you thought, no way, I, this used to bother me. I used to, I used to never use this kind of language. I used to never watch this kind of show. I used to never do that. And now you're doing it, then you, you can, that's a hardened heart. If you are avoiding being with Christians and worship, if you're becoming very judgmental and identifying all the weaknesses in everybody else but never yourself, your heart is being hardened. But it's not too late. It's time to flip a new car, two steps forward. And that first step may be a hard one. It may be you having to confess this, repent of this, own this. And then Jesus didn't say it was gonna be easy going forward. He said, I'm gonna be there, but it's gonna be better. That first step of obedience is always the most challenging, but once you get it going, it's, it, gets, it gets better. So I would say today, whatever that is, move forward. Hold fast, right? Don't go back. Don't go back. Consider Jesus. Don't harden your heart. And then one more thing, verse 13. But, there's a strong contrast in the original, but exhort one another. It's this Greek word, parakaleo. It's, it's in its noun form used of, of the Holy Spirit. He's the paraclete, he's the comforter, he's the helper, he's the encourager. He says, exhort one another, encourage one another, right? That, that's the command, encourage. Who? One another. How often? Every day. How, for how long? As long as it's still called today. It's all, by the way, it's always still called today. And then when it's tomorrow, guess what it is? It's still called today. That's his point. And the command is in a present active imperative, which means it should be translated continually, always, constantly encourage one another. This should be part of your daily routine. There's a couple things that you have to do every day. You just have to, right? You have to eat, you have to drink water, you have to brush your teeth, or at least you should. You gotta put on deodorant. Should get some sleep. Exercise, some of you, absolutely, definitely, right? But this is one of the things you got to do every day. Encourage one another as long as it's still called today. We need, we are wired to need encouragement. The problem is 
the very people that are supposed to be encouraging are the very ones who are usually sending everyone back to the beginning. We're, the, we're sorrowing one another back through our criticisms, through our whatever, our gossips, our slander. We're tearing people down and not building people up. Do you know that the way we are wired, the way the brain works, that for every negative thing that you are told about yourself, it takes 10 positive things to balance that out. You realize this? This, this should be something for us in our marriages and, our, and with our kids and the school teachers. Every criticism has to be balanced out by 10 positive things to kind of to balance that in our brains. That's why God, God has wired us to be encouraged. And we don't do so well at it, right? But we have the responsibility and the obligation to our family, to our brothers and sisters to encourage. Why? So that that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because sin blinds you. Sin makes you stupid. You can't see. I mean, you could be doing really good over here. I got 15 hours of quiet times a day and I'm doing all these things and you're completely blind over here, right? And that's the way it is. It's like the guy at the gym. You've been at the gym and you see the guy, he's got his tiger striped pants on. And he is buff, man. He's got biceps. He's, you know, he's got lats. His lats, he could fly with these things. He's like a bat. He just goes like this and he could jump in the air. I mean, he's got pecs. He's, he's just ripped. And he's got these little teeny big bird legs. You've seen this man, right? You, you know who I'm talking about. And, 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 and someone needs to tell old boy, bruh, there's this thing called leg day. I'll, I'll do it with you. I'll, you know, come on, we need to do some squats. We need to do something here. Some leg presses. He's just blind because he's sticking. He's looking at his biceps. Oh, you know, he can't see his little bird legs. That's all of us. This is me, y'all. I can I can work real hard at, at doing sermons, and I can completely neglect my family, and I have. Guilty. You can be real faithful in this area and be completely blind here, which is why we need encouragement. Right? We need encouragement. Do we need to say hard things sometimes? Yes. Here's what I would say. If you ever have to say something hard, always ask permission first. Don't just go in. I'm going to tell you what I think. No, ask permission. Can I, can I share something with you? And then after you do, always encourage afterwards because we need that positive too. We need to be encouraged. We don't need to be torn down all the time, right? We need encouragement. Not that we need to be intrusive and looking at our, each other's windows, but we need to walk alongside people Right, because there's no such thing as a loner Christian. And like you've heard the illustration before, like we're like pieces of coal. You take one piece of coal out of the pile, it gets cold really quick. But in that, in that group, it stays warm for a long time. That's us, right? And that's why he says, encourage one another. This is the last thing. We need to encourage, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a text, maybe it's a note, maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's a thank you to the nursery workers back there who come 15 minutes early and stay. I don't know but I think we should be purposefully encouraging more. We know where we fail. I know. I don't need to be reminded. Do you? I don't think we do. Called on our sin? Yes. Constantly told how we fail? No. All right? Exhort one another so we're not hardened by sin. And then he reminds us why. You've come to share in Christ. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters. He brought many sons and daughters to glory. We're family. But then he makes that statement again. If we hold our original confidence. You don't want to get a false assurance. If you fall away and you never come back, then you, then you weren't his to begin with. The only assurance of salvation, and understand, the doctrine of eternal security and the doctrine of assurance of salvation are two different doctrines. They're related. Eternal security means that once saved, always saved. That God has saved you and you cannot lose your salvation. That is true. And we'll see that later in this book. But the assurance of salvation, the only assurance that I have that I am saved is when I'm walking with God. 
Because if I'm walking like the devil, I don't have assurance. That doesn't mean I've lost my salvation. It just means I'm not assured right now because I'm acting like a fool. And so he's like, if you hold fast. When you hold fast, that's your assurance that I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm holding fast even in this moment. Right? And then he repeats himself again. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When the Bible repeats itself twice in the same chapter, the same verse, you ought to pay attention. It's like when a parent says the same thing twice. You ought to pay attention. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the day, like in the rebellion. Learn from their mistake. Don't be like them. And he reminds them what they did. Who was it they heard and rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt? Yep. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Yep. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? Yep. So here's your application. We see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So don't be them. You want to press forward? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. You want to press forward? Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You want to press forward? Let's encourage one another. Let's all together encourage one another and stir one each other up and call ourselves out on our skinny little legs if we have to. Because we all want to get home. We all want to get to rest. And so we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to close by celebrating the Lord's table this morning. And, and I think it's a great, a great time to do it because this for us is our opportunity to consider Jesus, who he is and what he did. It's our opportunity to fix our eyes on him, right? That, that's what we're doing. That when we take this bread that represents his body, he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood the blood of the new covenant shed because somebody had to pay for your sin. Someone had to make atonement. Someone that actually could keep the law and did keep the law and that the law was all about. That was me. I did that for you. So it's our opportunity to consider Jesus. It's also our opportunity to, to search our heart and ask the spirit of God, is there something in me that I'm, re- I'm rebelling over here? This known stiff-arming God's sin. And if it is, it's your opportunity to confess that to him, repent of that start taking a step forward. And it's an encouragement that we get to do this together, that we are taking this as a family, as a family meal. So if you're a Christian this morning, I I just, I'm going to give you a chance. And and what's going to happen is is the men and women are going to hand out the elements and then you just take some time to pray and think. And then you take when you're ready, some time of confession, some time of considering, then you take when you're ready and you can stand and sing when, when, whenever you're ready. Uh, if you're not a Christian, we just ask you to abstain. There's no pressure to, this is, this is a meal in essence for those who have considered Jesus, who recognize their sinfulness and that they needed a savior. And that's, that's my encouragement to be to you, that if you feel that today, that you would ask questions, that you come talk to us afterwards, get in this back hall, there'll be people who'll talk to you, that you fill out a card, that we want today to be the day of salvation for you. That's why you're here. That's why God has drawn you to himself. But for those who are, just take some time to consider Jesus, to fix your eyes on him. Take some time to confess, to not be hardened, but to be softened. Take some time to be encouraged by God himself and these symbols that show how you are his holy brothers and sisters, how you are given a high and holy calling. Let me pray, uh, and then we'll we'll do this. Father, I pray for this time that you would speak through your word and also uh, just through these symbols that picture you, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would make us more like your son, that you would show us where we are hardened. Lord, that you would uh, 
just remind us of this high and heavenly calling that we would move forward and not back. For someone who doesn't know you, Lord, draw them to yourself. Give them the faith to believe. Take that step. For those who are running, that they would get back up and return to you a good and gracious God. It's in Christ's name I pray.